stand for a responsive reading. On page six of your programs. It's a blessing to see so many standing. Keep up our faithful attendance to worship, praise of our great King together collectively and to the attendance of his great word. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. Who devour widows' houses for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And you stay down opposite the treasury and watch the people put money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Together, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this another wonderful very challenging gospel saturated passage thank you for your holy word we come to it bow into the truth that it is your word therefore it is authoritative therefore it is without error and it is incapable of error it is clear, it is sufficient. For one reason, it's your word. You have called me many, many, many years ago. I continue in that calling. You have called me to preach your holy word. Each time I stand, I want to always be fully aware of my inadequacy left to myself. So I come to you, I come to the throne of grace, I come to you, the one who called me, and I ask that you would fill me, Holy Spirit, enable me to rightly divide the word of truth. My desire is to preach your word, not mine. My desire is for people to hear your word as the word of the living God, not the word of Eddie Jacks. My desire is for people to hear Christ and by faith see him, 
by faith give glory to him, not a chance. So Father, I pray that you would unite our hearts to fear your name for your people in listening. They need your grace as well to hear your word. Some savingly, others to be sanctified, but we all need to bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, trust, hope, knowing our Savior. I pray for grace to love in Christ together this morning and to honor you not only in the worship and praise of your great name as we worship you in preaching and teaching your word this morning, but also, Father, as we leave here, I pray for disciplined people. Discipline. Help us to discipline our hearts unto godliness that your word, so that your word may dwell in us richly. We live in obedience, and your word lives in us, and people know that we've been with Jesus. I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. The widow's offering. That's our subject this morning. The widow's offering. Um, last week we looked at God's judgment on the religious leaders, the scribes, for their self-centered, foolish, prideful lives. We saw the foolishness of self-centered people as Christ unveiled them in the presence of all right there in the temple. In his teaching, he unveiled them very clearly, very directly in a very challenging, challenging way. We saw their ultimate end. We cannot live self-centered lives. We cannot live for ourselves and at the same time declare we know Christ. <clears throat> Knowing Christ is living Christ. Yes, sir. Paul said it this way, to me, to live is Christ. Yes. Yes, okay? Now here we see a contrast between the true godliness of a widow and the pretended righteousness of the scribes. And I know some of you all are students of the word and you like to read that great theologian, John MacArthur. You like to read John MacArthur. You, you may even have him pulled up on your tablet right now to, to see if pastor's copying him or what, what, what's going on. I understand that I like to read him too from time to time. 
But I know if you're reading, if you read all of this, you know, if you're studying and you um, use this commentary as an aid to help you study the Gospel of Mark as I preach through it, and, and that's a good thing, I, I encourage you to do that. You know that, you will, you will know that um, <clears throat> I'm in disagreement with him on this passage. Right? You, you'll know that, right? Okay? He doesn't see this as a contrast, and there are other theologians that do not as well. One of the things I've learned in studying the Bible, you better make sure you agree with Jesus. Before you agree with anyone else. And that's great to check your interpretation uh, through scholarly resources. Uh, I'm, I'm an exegetical type guy myself because uh, biblical exegesis uh, forces you to look at the text. Okay? So, if you haven't pulled up this morning, don't just automatically assume Pastor is wrong. <laughs> because I'm looking at the text as well. This is a contrast between the true godliness of a widow and the pretended righteousness of the scribes. The point lies in the contrast between the scribes on the one hand whose religiosity is selfish and greedy as we have seen and the poor widow on the other hand whose religiosity is generous even to the point of self-denial and hardship. The contrasting portraits of the scribes and the poor widow illustrate for Mark's readers two radically different responses to the kingdom of God. The experts in the law, the scribes, represent those who are in it for themselves, building personal empires rather than God's kingdom. They violate the two great commands that Jesus has already uh, taught and given. They violate love to God because their love is only centered on themselves, and they violate love to others because their love is only centered on themselves. They're actually exploiting other, others for self-gain. The widow, by contrast, is not thinking of herself when she gives self-sacrificially out of her poverty. She lives a life of trust and dependence on God. In these contrasting passages, we see the two greatest dangers for the Christian leaders, pride and abuse of power. And we see the two most important character traits for godly leadership and godly people, self-sacrificial service and total commitment to the kingdom of God. I want us to take a look together this morning at the widow's offering. I want us to note two points. One is in verse 41 and 42. The first point is the observation of Jesus Christ. 
Then in verse 43 and 44, secondly, I want us to see the evaluation of Jesus Christ. The observation of Jesus Christ and the evaluation of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So we think about the widow's offering. Now, first, the observation of Christ. The text reads, and he sat down, in verse 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Notice two things about the observation of Christ. Notice first the place of the observation. Now remember the context. Jesus is headed to Calvary in a few days from here. On Friday, Jesus will die. This is Passion Week. Okay? And Jesus comes out in chapter 12 declaring by his actions he is indeed the Messiah. He's declaring that very openly. The place of the observation then is Jesus is in the temple. The treasury, interesting enough, was located in what is called the Court of the Women. So, remember before Jesus was in the Court of the Gentiles, in the temple, the temple remembers a huge place. He was in the Court of the Gentiles, now he moves from the Court of the Gentiles to the Court of the Women. It is said that the court of the women could hold as many as 15,000 people. Beyond the court of the Gentiles, it was the farthest point that a woman could enter in the temple in that day. Only men were permitted beyond the court of the women, but both men and women were allowed in the court of women. The treasury here refers to one of the receptacles where offerings were placed. The treasury consisted of 13 large brass receptacles that had trumpet-shaped mouths. Follow me. Each of these trumpets were, uh, each of these trumpets was labeled as to what offerings placed in it would be used for. Nine of the trumpets were for various offerings related to the law. The other four were for free will offerings of various natures. They had a benevolent offering, which is one of the free will offerings, for example. So people gave by approaching the trumpets and dropping in their offerings. Remember, as well, it's soon to be Passover. So, Jerusalem was flooded with people. 
Normally the population of Jerusalem was around 50,000 people. During Passover, it was increased by some 200,000 pilgrims. I want, to get, I want you to see the setting here. I don't want you to think it's a little small space in a corner. This place is packed. It's Passover week and, and pilgrims have come uh, to Jerusalem from all over Israel in order to pay their vows to God. So it's not one or two people giving. There's a lot of giving going on. People are literally in line. Waiting to give him. Not, a few, not, not 20, not 30, uh, 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 hundreds of not thousands of people are packed in the court of the women giving. Hundreds of not thousands. I lean more toward thousands. What's interesting here, Jesus watched as the people were putting money into these trumpet-like receptacles. Mm -hmm. The word watched, that's the, that's the imperfect tense in the Greek, that simply means he watched for a long period of time. Putting, that's present tense in the Greek, pictures the action as occurring continually. So it's a big crowd. Jesus had been sitting there for a while, mm -hmm. watching. He watched as they were putting coins in the treasury. He watched how they gave. He watched not only what they gave, but he, he observed their manner of giving. So the Savior noticed not merely the facts or acts of contribution, but also uh, the way the acts exhibit themselves, the manner in which they gave. Follow me. Manner, the manner is inseparable from the act because the outward act reveals the inward essence of the act. The genuineness, the realness, or the uh, uh, falseness of it. So, Jesus is looking into hearts as they give. He's looking at the motives. He's looking at the intents of the heart. You probably should buckle up could be some turbulence. The brass receptacles where the money was being placed is important. Why? Well, because there were no bills in Jesus' day. No checkbooks, okay? In Jesus' day, no cash apps. In his day, no credit cards. So therefore, it was all coins. So, every offering deposited could be heard 
even if it was not sin. Because it's, the coins are being deposited in these brass trumpet-like receptacles. You could hear the coins dropping. Yeah. Yeah. Hold that. That's right. yeah. So, Jesus is watching. He's watching over a period of time. He's watching uh, the manner in which they're giving. That's, the, that's where Jesus is. In the temple, in the court of the women, near the treasury, watching how people give. That's not all about the observation I want you to see. Not only the place, but notice the people in the observation. The text says many rich people put in large psalm. The word rich here refers to having an abundance of earthly possessions that exceeds normal experience. In comparison, many of us today, if we were there, taking what we have, accumulated today, would be considered rich. Large sums means copper, referring to coins. Now, the temple was a major uh, industry of Jerusalem. Puritans came there to pray, they came there to offer sacrifices. They came to pay tithes. In a sense, temples functioned like national treasuries. They, they were like banks in that the treasuries included private deposits. The Sadducees, remember we, we, we saw them just a few verses back. The Sadducees, you know, they didn't believe in the resurrection. even the deity of the Messiah, but the Sadducees believed rich people to be righteous because of their riches. So the poor are proven in their minds wicked because of their poverty. The Pharisees who believed in rewards and punishments in the, in the afterlife, but the Pharisees also believed wealth to be a sign of God's favor and misfortune to be the result of God's judgment for sin. The Pharisees believed that. So the common belief among Jews was that wealth was a sign of God's favor. That's a third group that believed that. Jesus' disciples. How do I know that? <laughs> According to Mark chapter 10, verses 23 through 27, the Bible declares, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it would be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And the disciples were amazed at his words because, but, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Then he added, it is easier 
for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly, the disciples, exceedingly astonished and said to them, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible. Salvation is impossible with man, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. You know why the disciples were astonished? Because they believed that rich people had the favor of God. Paul would later say, the love of man it's the root of all evil. So many rich people were giving. Jesus spoke about the way that they gave. I won't read it. You can jot it down and read it when you get home in your time this week as you reflect back on this sermon. But Jesus spoke about how they gave. In Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 4, uh, Jesus describes some of the excesses that marked the Jews in their giving in Jesus' day. Some would hire uh, trumpeteers to go before them so that attention would be drawn to them in their giving. <laughs> they would come to the treasury and make a great show of casting in their money. And as their, as their money fell into the trumpet, it would make a great noise. Heads would turn and people would stare in admiration at these people who gave great sums of money to the temple. And people would stand back and be amazed. Wow! They must have the favor of God in a greater way than the person who gave before because uh, I heard more coins from this one than I have heard from that one. Wow! I want to be like them one day. If only I could attain to that. If only uh, God would bless me like that. Jesus is about to shock his disciples. So there were rich people giving large sums. But in verse 42, we see another giver observed by Jesus. Verse reads, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. <laughs> this, this giver had two big problems that would, that would hinder any giving. First, she had a wealth problem. The word poor asserts her condition of extreme poverty. Uh, this word means to be uh, economically disadvantaged, dependent on others for support. She was not merely a peasant with meager means. She was financially destitute like a beggar. She had a wealth problem. Secondly, the widow problem. The widow problem. She was a widow. Wid widows were in that day, uh, the most fragile and destitute members of society. Just check out Jeremiah 7, 1, I mean 7, verse 6, James 1, 27, Acts 6, 1 through 7. A man's estate went first to the sons, and, 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 and widows were expected to be cared for by their immediate families. 
But this often failed, and so they were left destitute. Widows in those days were especially uh, in difficult situations regarding money. There was no social security or pensions or government welfare that could support them when their husbands died. A widow was a charity case in those days. She was in a sad situation without a husband. She had little means of support. She had a widow problem. She had a wealth problem, but the text says she gave. What's wrong with this woman? And by the way, those who offer a different under, uh, interpretation, they argue that it was not a commendation of her in verses 43 and 44. But stay with me. Notice the sum of her giving. She came in and put in what? Two small copper coins, which makes a penny. Yeah. I hope you're listening to me because I'm setting you up for verse 43 and 44. Two small copper coins. Now, these two copper coins she throws in are the smallest coins in circulation. And the translators actually struggle to translate it. Actually, is worth only one eighth cent a piece. It's called quadrants in, in Roman language. One sixty-fourth of a denarius. <laughs> now, a denarius, remember, was the daily wage of uh, a manual labor laborer in Jesus' day, according to Matthew twenty. So, this is a mere fraction of an average day's pay. It is a gift that amounted to nothing of any value as far as money was concerned. Now, remember, this place holds about 15,000 people. This is a Passover week. So, therefore, there, there's thousands of people that are giving. And the rich were coming in. They were putting in large sums of money. And remember, it's going into brass receptacles. So if there's large sums of coins going in, who can even hear what she gave? Y'all don't even hear me hear. She drops in her two little coins. No doubt they make a noise, but uh, the little noise they make cannot even be heard because of the noise of, of all the other coins that the rich are getting. Small gift, which makes Jesus' uh, commendation even more startling in verse 43. Before I go to his evaluation, I want to remind you, our giving is always in the sight of Jesus Christ. Always. He looks at what we give and he looks at how we give. It is his estimate that really matters, not the estimate of being. In most Christian fellowships, prayer precedes or follows the offering. There is no formality, saints. We give out of privilege, 
out of thanksgiving, we need to pray that it will please the Lord to use our gifts as he pleases and to help us give in such a way that pleases him. Your giving should never be a response to me. It always should be in response to Christ. Because he's looking at what and how you give. He's Lord. I'm just pastor. According to Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus sees and knows everything about his church. Let's not ever lose sight of that. And let's live in such a way that we live according to that truth. Right? It's the observation of Jesus. Jesus, uh, uh, we see the place where he is, crowded place, right? We see the people uh, in his observation, rich people and one poor widow. Now, let's look at the evaluation of Christ. The evaluation of Christ. In verses 43 and 44. Let's read them together again. In verses 43 and 44. You just listen silently as I read aloud. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, which she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Wow. I want you to notice a few things about the uh, evaluation of Christ. Notice first the recipients of the evaluation. Who's he talking to? And he called his disciples to him and said to them, that word call means to summons to oneself. But, but, but uh, uh, the call of Christ, especially in this context, has the idea of intimacy. He wants his true followers to learn from him as he evaluates what he sees. Are you with me? The teaching is intended for his disciples at that time and for all subsequent disciples of Christ. So therefore, it's intended for you and I. It's intended for the poor disciples who were Mark's readers, remember, who were, who were suffering under the persecution of Nero. And many of them were like this poor widow. They didn't have much. <laughs> So, he wants to teach them this important lesson from actual life. Amen. Remember, a disciple is a learner. To learn Jesus is to submit yourself to his teaching, his walk, and his ways. 
a refusal to submit, you're not learning, right? You know, we like to say, well, well, I know, I know, I know, no. No, we're talking about learning. We have teachers in the, in, in, in the church. No teacher says a student has learned something if they don't do it. So a disciple is a learner, learning Christ, learning his ways, learning, learning how to walk with him. And Jesus says, okay guys, come here. Obviously they weren't near him when, as he observed. So he calls them to himself. He says, I want to teach you a lesson. You've got to see life through the lenses of Christ. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't see life through the lenses of Christ, you don't see life correctly. Amen. Amen. Oh, the, the, those are very powerful words if you think about it. Because we live in, a, in, in the, well, this is the way I feel society. Well, well, this is the way I see it. I know this is the way you see it, but this is the way I see it. Well, okay, the way you see it and the way I see it is wrong. Let's Look at life the way Christ sees it. And get it right. <laughs> All you have to see life through the lenses of Christ and, and, and understand the disciples of Christ must be different from the culture. Now everybody else is applauding the rich. And Jesus says, come here to me. I, I, I can see them getting ready to do just like this and Jesus you know, getting ready, yes. get ready to clap. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Amen. I, I can see them as Jesus looks into their eyes and they're thinking, wow. And Jesus says, Yes. Come here. You're not seeing life correctly. You must understand, even when it comes to giving, you must understand giving the way Jesus understands giving. Uh, uh, otherwise, you don't understand giving. Amen. You know what pastor says all the time? Jesus is right and everybody else is wrong. And that is not an opinion. That's a fact. And you don't need to find out that's a fact when the fact of Christ's presence is here on earth when he returns. That's a fact now. So we see the recipients of the evaluation, his disciples. The disciples of Christ at the time, as Peter is one of the people, remember, that Mark uh, uh, is listening to in, in the writing of his gospel. So the disciples uh, uh, that were uh, 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 Mark's readers and the disciples Right here, right now. But not only do we see the, the recipients of the evaluation, look at the climate of the evaluation. What, what type of climate is this? Well, it's a truly climate. You ever been into a truly climate? That's what it says, truly I say to you. You know what truly means? Amen. Let it be so. It's a strong affirmation of what is being said. Amen is the New Testament. In the New Testament, Amen is strictly, look it up for yourself, is strictly limited to the words of Jesus. Jesus uses Amen to introduce and endorse his own words. Amen denotes his words are reliable and true because he's totally committed to do and speak the will of God. 
It's a Christological affirmation because Jesus is the true witness of Christ. So the Amen of Christ is the true witness of God. You better listen when the true witness speaks. All of his disciples had better listen and obey when the true witness speaks. So what is the climate? The climate is one of solemnity, it's one of certainty, it's one of importance because Jesus says, Amen. Don't come over here laughing. Don't come over here giggling. Don't come over here making jokes about what she gave and, and, and what that one. Don't come. Don't bring your stuff. I just said truly. So I've created the climate. It's one of seriousness. It's one of certainty. It's one of solemnity. Don't come saying anything. Just be quiet and listen. <laughs> right? That's the climate of the evaluation. <clears throat> What's the essence of it? You see the recipients. The disciples, the climate, solemnity, certainty, importance, amen. The witness of God is about to speak. What's the essence of the evaluation? The essence, essence of the evaluation. Well, two things here. This is called my sub-sub points. Two things here under the essence of the evaluation. Note first a startling assertion in verse 43. It's a startling, shocking assertion Jesus makes. It's like, listen to the math of Christ. This is a startling assertion. This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Before I unpack that, you know what amazes me here? Brother Danny, what amazes me here? Jesus knew her. Yes, yes. You know, I, 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 again, I seem to pay really, real, real close attention to um, the text. And, and there's some commentators that say, well, he knew her by her dress, you know, culturally, how a widow dressed. Yeah. Uh, mm, I can't walk with you there. Because he knew she was poor. He knew she was a widow. He not only knew how much she had, he knew that was all she had. I attribute this to the omniscience of Christ. And, 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 and first of all, I would argue from the context that he knew her. The context, remember, in, in verses 35 through 37, he made it clear that the Messiah is to be the son of David, but he's also David's Lord. Right? He knew her because Jesus is Lord. He's not trying to be Lord. He is Lord, and as Lord, he's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. 
Think a little bit deeper about that. If you don't shout out of your shoes what I'm about to say, you ought to shout in your heart. Listen. He knew her, he took note of her. Right on what's actually 
the actual tense here of the verb. It's present tense. So, in, a word, in other words, okay, those who have given, yes, those who are presently giving, and will continue to give. Okay? So, Jesus knew that she put in more than all and everyone that have gave, everyone that is giving, everyone that will give, and she put in more than all of them put together. Man, somebody said, well, Pastor, they'll be easy math teacher, maybe. Jesus needs to go take a couple of classes. Because you just said she didn't have a two. And it, it didn't even amount to uh, one penny. It, didn't even, it was 164th of a denarius. And Jesus said she gave more than everybody. Keep the context in mind. You know there were some people there that were very impressed with how the rich people were giving. Because they're doing more for, more for God than, than most people. Jesus, why didn't he mention them? This woman's little coins that were the thinnest of Roman coins barely could make a sound. And you said she gave more than everybody else. Even all those rich people who I just say clean, 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 clean. You say she gave more than everybody can buy, Jesus? Jesus has some different type of scales in his hand. He had the scales of eternity. Indulge me. On one side, he emptied all of the contents of the 13 trumpets. The shekels, the denarii, the heavy gold, the silver. And on the other side, he placed the two copper coins. And when he put it on his scales, the massive load of the rich gave way to the eternal weight of the widow's tiny offering. I'm talking about when he put it on the scales, horrors just automatically, uh, 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 the, the eternal weight of it just bam. Oh my goodness. Glory to God. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. I know you need an explanation, don't you? We, we need to hold on for a moment. Because I got, I, 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 I'm going to sound, I'm going to sound a gospel note. <laughs> oh, you don't have to stay with me. I, my help is here. I'm going to sound me a gospel note right here. We're talking about that organ. Uh, uh, Sister Christian, I'm going to play the organ. <laughs> I'm going to play it right now. <laughs> if you look at this account, in light of the riddle that Jesus asked the scribes in verses 35 through 37, if you look at this account in light of that, you'll see a very strange similarity. 
Follow me. Now, people may have thought she was just putting in two copper coins. But in fact, according to Jesus, she was giving everything she had. One way of thought, the Messiah was just David's son. A human king among other kings. But in fact, the Messiah, Israel's God, had given him totally. He had actually, in fact, God, the Father, had actually given all he had. Y'all didn't catch that. You're going to be driving home, I'm telling you. You're going to be sitting in your car, and I advise you to pull over. Because you're going to be sitting in your car, you're going to be like, the illumination is going to come. You see, we see a strange similarity. Uh, they thought she's putting in just two copper coins. But Jesus says, no, she's giving all she had. And, 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 and Jesus says, I see something of my father there. Because my father, my father, you thought I was just the Messiah, David's son. But in fact, you didn't realize the Father had given all he had. The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm trying to stay on the ground right now. Oh my goodness. The Bible is the most amazing book in the world. Glory to your name. Hallelujah. Praise the King of glory. Oh, I'm glad that the Father gave all he had. And, 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 and when I think about her giving, I see giving like that as I look at the scriptures. You remember Abraham? Genesis 22? He gave his only son. You remember Hannah in 1 Samuel 128? She gave her son Samuel to God. You remember the widow at Zarephath? You know Elijah stopped by her house by the word and will of God, she gave her last little oil and her last cake of bread. You remember this lady named Mary that had this expensive ointment and perfume. She gave all she had to Jesus. Consider even more people like Stephen. He gave his life. James. He gave his life. And others, and others, and more, and more, and more, and more people. Why would people give so much to God? I've got the answer. Because they love him. And people that love him are willing to give all they have. Okay. This is a start of an assertion, isn't it? That's how kingdom stuff is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's how it is. Preach. Jesus says, you want to win? Mm. He said, yeah, I want to win. Jesus said, you have to lose. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jesus says, okay, you. You want to gain? Yeah, yeah, I want to gain. Jesus says, you got to give. Yes. Then Jesus says, you want to live? Yeah, yeah, I want to live. Jesus says, you got to die. <laughs> Jesus says, oh, you want that? You want to save your life? Yeah, yeah, I want to save my life. Jesus says, you have to lose it. <laughs> a startling assertion. But glory be to God. When he makes a startling assertion, it has the eternal weight of glory with it. If we could just see life. 
for the Lord Jesus Christ. By the Spirit, we can. You see, the essence of his evaluation first will start on an assertion. And lastly, I gotta go to my seat before I start running up in here. A satisfying explanation. That startling assertion, we need a satisfying explanation, don't we? Mm -hmm. Well, what does verse 44 start with? For. For. That's an explanatory word. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had all she had to live on. Yeah. Yeah. They all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, didn't just contribute, but she put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I can hear Peter saying, uh, excuse me, Jesus, Master Lord, why and how in the world can you say yeah. she gave more than everybody here? There's thousands of people here. We, we've heard coin after coin after coin just by one person. We didn't even hear hers. You had to call us over here. Jesus says, okay. Here's why I say that. Finally, the value of a gift, according to Jesus, is not, first of all, the amount given, but the cost to the giver. Say The value of a gift, according to Jesus, is not first of all the amount given, but the cost to the giver. How do I know that? Even as I look at the broader context, if we ever make it to chapter 14, we will one day keep playing. In chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, we're going to see the story of a woman who gives this extravagant gift of perfume. Now, the value of her gift, monetarily speaking, is light years greater than the two laptop, two coins of the poor widow here. But both are equally praised by Jesus, equally commended. Because it's not first of all the amount, it's the cost. <laughs> See, their amounts are not the same, but Jesus commands both. Here's the problem going on in the temple. The rich gave what they could spare. The widow spared nothing. Amen. 
crawl in the tunnel. In here too. Others gave. Oh, you know I'm coming, baby. I ain't scared. Others gave from their surplus. But she gave from her need all she had to live on. See, people can see only that which is given, but Jesus is looking at what you're keeping. I am moving right here. Just a minute. Give me a second, all right? I said, we see what's given. But Jesus says, I'm looking at what you're keeping. Y'all don't even hear me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This woman has given more than all the rich. You know why? Because she didn't keep anything. <laughs> right? a week and you ball up that five dollars and put it in I'm balling your hand. Jesus see that? Come on. Come on. Come on, love. The work of God shouldn't suffer like that. Come on. I tell you the difference. Between the widow, widow and the rich, two differences. Number one, she gave by faith. The text says she gave everything, all she had to live on. She was poor already, right? She left the temple that day. Guess how much she had? According to Jesus, who was always right, nothing, right? She left the temple with nothing. Would it not have been perfectly appropriate for her to keep one coin for herself and give the other coin to the temple and then at least she would have given 50% which is more than everyone gave today in offering. Right? Y'all don't even hear me do you? I mean, that, 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 would, that, that would have been more than, a, than the Pharisees to tie the 23%, right? But this was all she had to live on, right? All she had to live on. All she had to live on. So, poor widow, what in the world will you do having given all you had? Now, use my sanctified imagination. I can hear a saying, I'm going to trust That's right. in the Lord until the day I die. What else are you going to do? I'm going to stand the battlefield. What else are you going to do? I'm going to do all I can for, 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 for the Lord. See, she came by she had to believe God was glorious. She had to believe that. Because she gave him everything she had. 
She had to believe that God was gracious because she's responding with the kind of generosity that only grace can compel. She had to believe that God was provident because she had nothing left to live on. She gave everything she had. This is unconditional faith, undying gratitude, unrestrained praise. She gave by faith, she trusted God. The rich were giving in a way well, where trust was not required. Because if I have 10,000, and I only give 50, I've got 9,500. No, I got 9,950. Right? Oh, wonder if there's anybody here that gives like that. You don't have to trust God, do you? Because you give, then you check your account. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> right? Better watch it. God can shut it down. As people have gone through the recession, He can shut it down, but she gave by faith. I'll show you a final difference between the widow and the rich. She gave sacrificially. I don't think she had a job, but let's say, let's give her that. Let's say she had one. They got paid daily in that day. So she would at least have had to fast that day for her sacrifice to God. Considering the fact she's a widow, she has no savings. Because Jesus said she didn't have any. She gave all she had. She gave at least a little bit to the kingdom of God. This is true discipleship. This is true discipleship. This is an example of true discipleship. It's characterized by sacrificial surrender of all she has to Christ. Listen to me preach. I'm closing now, okay? God will never, ever, ever be satisfied with the tenth of our lives. <laughs> never! Never! He wants all of us. You remember in Ephesians 5, 18, Paul says, uh, do not be drunk with wine and excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? He did not mean that the Spirit wants 10% of you. Right? I wish I had some warriors in here. Uh, uh, he, he didn't mean the Spirit wants 10% and then after maybe there's a work of grace, he can finally get the rest of you. That's not what he meant. He meant that God wants all the rooms inside of here to be open to him. And God wants to dwell in every corner of your life. Pastor, what is the point of this? Yeah. Hmm. Boy, this blood running all down his eye. Hmm. Well, not a river. Yeah. 
What's your point, Pastor? Are you telling me that? Because sometimes we only think about giving in terms of money. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me, Pastor, that God wants me, wants you to take up another offering and I empty it out of my bank account to the church? I'm not telling you that. No, I'm not telling you that. This is point. If you have a heart for God, you got a heart for giving. <laughs> the real question you need to answer is how large a place will God have in my life? If your heart is right before God, you know what you'll do? You give as much as you can, and you will not even be satisfied with the tenth. If you have a heart for God. Listen, my, 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 my children growing up in my home, my wife and I, we would never say to them, now I've already given you a tenth, so if you don't have enough to eat on, <laughs> after two or three days, mm-hmm. I've done my duty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And being labeled that, I love you. Get real. Mm-hmm. No, we gave our sales to them. That's right. And we sought to meet by God's grace at every need they had. Amen. Listen, saints. Giving is the right thing to do. Yes, I do. Yes, it's right because we live in a world that desperately needs the mercy of the gospel in word and deed. And this church should be supporting at least 10 or more missionaries, at least, instead of the four we support. We're building a new building and be satisfied with four missionaries. And the building can't say nobody. Y'all don't even hear me preaching to you. It's right. It's right. It's right because of the work of the gospel. It's right because of the work of Christ. I say this and I'm closing. The final Greek words of the chapter, of this chapter, next week I'm supposed to be diving into that chapter 13. Let's see what the Lord will do. But the final Greek words of this chapter could be paraphrased this way. I'm about to sound one more gospel note. I love Jesus and I love the gospel and I want you to hear the gospel from this text it could be paraphrased she laid down her whole life gave it all (laughs) that's what Jesus was about to do on Friday yes sir Paul says, come 
on and hit it. Let me hit it right quick. Let me hit it right quick. Okay, Paul, I'll let you in. Since it's God's word and not yours. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I see something there. Jesus gave the widow's offering in a much, 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 don't have time to finish my much, greater way. Because, you know what he did on Friday? I better leave it alone. You know what he did on Friday? They didn't take his life. They couldn't. How can you, how, how, how can you make God do something? They, they didn't take his life. He, he said what was going to happen. He says, I'm going to lay it down. And boy, he laid it down, didn't he? But in three days, I'm going to take it up again. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'm going to rise again. They didn't take his life. He laid it down, or if you will, he gave it. He gave it all for us. Grace always gives. He gave it. With all his offering. Much greater way. Rich and became poor. Is a poor widow. But she couldn't give like Jesus. Amen. Because this poor person right here, I'm just speaking for myself right now. Poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt. Through his poverty, I have now become rich. I've been justified. I'm being sanctified. I shall ultimately, ultimately be glorified. Uh, I am a co-inheritor uh, uh, with Christ. All that belongs to Him yes. belongs to me. Yes. All because, in a much greater way, He gave the widow's offering. Thank you, dear God. Follow him. Yes, sir.